Hi FA Europeans, in the last episode we covered the basics of the monetary system and history with Daniel, a member of our community. Check that episode if you haven't already. Today in the second part we cover the basics of Bitcoin. Still many FA Europeans haven't gotten their feet wet with crypto. If you like to start experimenting with it or you already started but haven't thought about the basic concepts behind, you might want to continue listening. But if you're already a crypto pro, you might want to skip the episode. In the episode we also suggest some simple steps and tools to start investing. Nevertheless, I want to emphasize that there's no need to necessarily invest in Bitcoin or crypto if it's not your cup of tea, you'll still be fine. No need to have fear of missing out, although the returns of the past years have outperformed the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. Check out also the PDF in the show notes with some guides and tools to get you started. Welcome to the Financial Independence Euro podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your host, Matthias. Hello, FI Europeans. Do you like to diversify your portfolio and earn a nice and steady income? With LandSecured, you can invest in agricultural projects and support European farmers directly starting from 1st of March. It's a great alternative for payday loans with a loan term from 6 to 12 months. These loans are secured by crop insurance, personal guarantee and a three-way agreement. Visit financial-independence.eu slash LandSecured or click the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, let's talk about uh, how how Bitcoin, Bitcoin and, and electronic currencies can uh, solve parts of the issue. Yeah. Um, as we now understood that that we sure. kind of need to act. So, what is Bitcoin exactly? If you compare it also to the existing currencies, yeah. So, Bitcoin. I want to start by saying Bitcoin is not digital money. Bitcoin is much more. Saying that Bitcoin is digital money, it's like saying that it, the internet. It's a very advanced telephone. Mm. It's something completely different. First of all, Bitcoin, it's it's a protocol. Let's start by saying that um, in the internet, there are many protocols. There is the, the POP3 protocol, which uh, through which we send emails. There is the TCP IP protocol, through which computers connect with one another. There is the HTTP work uh, protocol, through which we browse webs. And there is the Bitcoin protocol. Bitcoin is a protocol that is native to the internet. There cannot be internet without a Bitcoin protocol because some time ago, someone created it, uploaded it to the internet, and there are a bunch of uh, um, clients of this protocol around the world that ensure it is still existing. Mm. That's usually referred to as Bitcoin with capital B. And then there are the Bitcoins with small b and plural. Bitcoins are native tokens to this protocol, to this internet protocol, which is the Bitcoin network. Basically, Bitcoin was invented in 2008 by an anonymous person called Satoshi Nakamoto. And Bitcoin is based on four technologies. And it's very important to understand that these four technologies, mm. they interact with one another, creating a synergetic relation that makes Bitcoin what it is today. The first Bitcoin, uh, first technology is the one that everybody has heard of, which is blockchain. But this is just the first one. Blockchain mm. is the first one. The second one is uh, a peer-to-peer -peer network. The third one is the proof of work algorithm. And the fourth one is the private key cryptography. Mm. Um, if you want, I can very briefly explain each of them. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. So blockchain, everybody kind of has heard blockchain. Blockchain is a, a special type of database. It's a database in which transactions are stored in, in blocks, meaning the transaction is not added to the ledger, to the record one by one. 
but it's collected in a block and then the block is added to the database. And mm. these blocks are introduced in a chronological way. And a common misconception is that Bitcoin is immutable because of blockchain. That's also not true. What blockchain does is that it makes, it would make any change in the Bitcoin ledger evident. It would be impossible to look at the Bitcoin blockchain and not realize if anyone has changed it, has changed anything. It makes it tamper evident, not tamper proof. You can edit, you can still fuck up with it, but everybody would know it in the network. Mm. What really the step that is really innovative in, in Bitcoin is to make this blockchain peer-to-peer. That's why the second technology is even more important than blockchain, is to be a peer-to-peer network. It means that there are a in principle, in theory, indefinite amount of users that can have a copy of the Bitcoin protocol and the Bitcoin blockchain. And these peers, they are connected with one another at all times, as long as they have an available internet connection. And they achieve state of consensus. That means that they agree what is the true version of the blockchain and what are the rules that this protocol should work with. I can give you a very easy example to understand what, what's consensus. Imagine a, a group of children playing in the schoolyard. They are playing, let's say, like typical schoolyard soccer game, football game. As we all know, as children, if you play football in your schoolyard, you kind of follow the rules of football, but every schoolyard can have their own rules. And basically, mm-hmm. all the children playing this game, they all know the rules mm-hmm. and they all agree on them. And that's why they play with one another. If a child comes from another school and starts to play with them, and imagine this other child plays in a school where they are allowed to touch the ball with their hand. It's not um, compatible. It's not, com- it's not compatible. Yeah. At first, they will say, yeah, play with us. And run about 10 seconds later, when this new child takes the ball with his hands, all other children will say, that's not the rules that we play by in this school jar. So you, you are to, not in consensus. You, you are not to, in consensus with the rest of us. You need to co- um, deploy the, the current uh, code to the new child. <laughs> you have two options. Either the yeah. new child, either the new peer in this network, either the new yeah. child adapts to the rules mm. existing. Or he doesn't he stops playing. He doesn't play anymore if he doesn't want to adapt to the commonly mm. accepted rules. And this is a very good metaphor. You can think of Bitcoin nodes as people playing with agreed set of rules, and they respect the rules that everybody else understands, and they monitor each other for keeping up these rules. And but, yeah, that's I, I think, think everybody's talking about blockchain. I think it's because it's it's a newer newer part. I think the The peer-to-peer uh, part, I've also seen that uh, on Napster in, in the 90s, where you also yeah, had decentralized uh, exchange of... eTorrent was also another peer-to-peer file exchange protocol. That was later. Is, yeah, well, as well, yeah. <laughs> But yes, um, in, in the end, um, you had this decentralized um, clients that have the same rules and they, they can trans- transact yeah. with each other. And, and blockchain is kind of also... A bit newer from my uh, perception, but there's yeah. also the, I think also crypto cryptography is is also around for a couple of decades or yeah. hundred years um, since the war, yeah. basically. And yeah. proof of work is in this is is a new also a new concept, I think. Um, in a way, I could also make the case that proof of work has has existed since the beginning of humanity. Mm-hmm. Let me explain what proof of work is. Proof of work, as a general concept is the idea of choosing 
what the truth is mm. based on what has taken what truth what version of the truth has taken the most energy to generate mm. that's what proof of work means so for example i have read interesting interpretations such that the 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 pyramids in egypt is a primitive version of proof of work because imagine like even even today when you go to the pyramids you you think wow that's really big how did they put all these stones here together well mm. imagine uh, looking at that 3,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago. That was an amazing show-off. <laughs> it was a show-off of a power of an empire. Mm. Basically, w- why did Egypt build the pyramids? As a proof of the amount of power that they have. The more work I can store in the shape of a building, mm. the easier it is for people to understand how powerful powerful I am. And, and therefore, this is a physical proof of work. It's the, the action of bringing stones up to the pyramid is storing work in the form of a building. And the higher the building, the more powerful the empire. And whoever has the tallest building is the most powerful empire. This is a way to determine the, the ultimate truth. Who is ruling the world today is the one who possesses the tallest building. Mm-hmm. Well, so proof of work is also a very old technology. The, what is really amazing and was was really the brilliance of satoshi whoever mm. that person was or whichever group of people that person was it was a girl take, it was a girl i've heard who knows probably <laughs> <laughs> uh it's to take all these four concepts mm. and put them all together blockchain technology peer-to-peer network proof of work and cryptography what is really innovative about uh, making a blockchain peer-to-peer network is that every player, every member of this uh, network has the, the capability to verify if the next transaction or the next block coming into this blockchain, it's playing according to the rules that everybody has agreed on, if it's legitimate. I can make a short story mm-hmm. to illustrate this point. Imagine you live in a, in a small a small village of 10 people and you decide to transact in whatever unit you have decided to transact. And then every every member of this, every inhabitant of this small village has a list of who in the village has how many of these, uh, let's say, colorful stones. Mm-hmm. And you have your version and the other nine people also have their version. And what you do, you go with your life and when you transact with someone, you give him you, you not only give him a certain amount of colorful stones but you also take your list and you modify the balances if you, if i give you one stone then i go to my list and i minus one stone in my balance and i plus one stone in your balance mm-hmm. and then every single member of this community will go on with their lives doing the same thing and modifying their version of the of this record and what we would do in order to synchronize our consensus imagine that in the evening we meet for a beer all of mm-hmm. us and then every one of us shows our version of the record and we compare it with one another mm-hmm. and then we see okay do i have in my list anything that contradicts what you have in your list and we do this all together and basically if we see that all our lists are matching mm-hmm. one another then we can say okay we are in consensus and nobody uh, cheated anybody today. Awesome. One person comes to the to this beer gathering and has suddenly in his ledger three times more colorful stone than everybody else think 
he should have, then everybody else is going to call him off, uh, call him out yes. and say, hey, you have done something that it's smells fishy with your, with your balance. And yeah. this is basically how it works. Every and single node of Bitcoin has a version of the Bitcoin blockchain. And mm -hmm. everyone is checking every new transaction and making sure nobody has cheated. We also know that from the cash flow game where everybody has his ledger and um, then then you all transactions are captured there and then you have this mechanism of audit that you have to uh, look for the your right or left neighbor and, and check if the balance is uh, done correct. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the same thing. But imagine you're doing that with every player. And that's what a peer-to-peer mm -hmm. -peer blockchain looks like and how that's different mm -hmm. from a simple blockchain. because. If I have a blockchain in a network with only one controller, yeah. one node or one controller, then, then I don't need a blockchain because this person can alter it anyway in any way he wants. Right? So you can that just is, use a normal database and this is this is Visa. Visa <laughs> is a one node blockchain. Um, only yeah. that they don't use blocks, they just put the transactions one by one. So we went how the blockchain, Bitcoin's blockchain is peer-to-peer. -peer, and what do these players need in order to determine what is their true blockchain, right? So in order to evaluate the new transaction, they need to know what is the truth at the moment this transaction arrives. And that's, that's where proof of work comes into play. Proof of work is the, the way how the Bitcoin network determines what is the universal truth mm. of the Bitcoin blockchain as of this very second. And that is the longest chain. The longest chain is the one that has required the most energy to generate. Mm. And therefore, the network says, whatever is the longest chain, whatever has accumulated more work in, for whatever is the tallest pyramid, the tallest building in this civilization of blockchains, that is the truth. And that's what tells the node, okay, this is the true blockchain. And that's what they have to compare every new transaction with. So my question is, um, as Elon Musk uh, also posted uh, about this, he said BTC is taking a lot of energy. So my guess is he has a master plan of creating his own uh, cryptocurrency that takes less energy. But if you have, for example, Visa, who's executing a lot of uh, transactions at, at, at a certain amount of time and has only one node to run, isn't it more en energy sufficient than having a lot of uh, nodes Uh, maintaining their uh, ledger or their, their blockchain? Yeah. So let me start by saying that I, um, well, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I work for Tesla right now, but mm. I just want to make very clear that anything I say in the episode reflects only my own opinion. I can't and I don't uh, speak in the name of a company. Of and I also would like to avoid uh, commenting on any company statements, mm. uh, which are also Elon's statements. I could do that about any other company, but not about the one I work for. I think uh, also other people have mentioned uh, the same. So they, they okay. always complain about yeah. the energy con consumption. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that's what I can talk about. Um, so why is um, proof of work necessary and why does it consume so much energy? Like I understand it's easy to think of Bitcoin as something bad for the environment. I think this is a, a very easy to make assumption because mm -hmm. it's the direct consequence in saying, okay, it consumes energy, therefore it's bad for the environment. But this is this logic relation, it's, it's way too simple. It doesn't reflect reality. This would be 
this is too easy. <laughs> Unfortunately, or luckily, things in the world are a little bit more complex. You have to look at the indirect uh, relation mm. between Bitcoin energy consumption and the consequences it has. So um, basically, looking at this for from an engineering point of view, I think it's it's an oversimplification to say that anything that consumes energy is bad for the environment. You have to make here two distinctions. One is what kind of energy it's being consumed and what for. First, starting what what kind of energy is consumed. Mm. Uh, it's not the same to consume a lot of solar energy or renewable energy as it is to consume a lot of fossil fuel generated energy. And the thing that is unique about Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin energy consumption, is that it happens in a geographically independent way. So why why are, for example, cities very polluting. You have to imagine uh, cities of, of the modern world, cities of today, they are located in the places where they have always been, like, mm. right? Like places that have historically been very well communicated or very easy to defend uh, or had access to a port. Those were the places where primitive human settlements made their home. And that's where we live today still. Mm. York was a port. Uh, going to Americas, Hamburg was a port, uh, Stuttgart is in a valley that is easy to defend, and so on and so on. So places where people live today, we live in these places for reasons that have nothing to do with the world today. And these places where we live is not necessarily the places where energy is the more abundant or more easy to transport to. And that's mm. why cities are very polluting. Because we don't have the energy we need in the place that we need it. We have to generate energy where the energy is abundant, and we have to transport it to the city where people actually need to consume it. Mm. So human beings are very geographically attached consumers of energy. However, to mine Bitcoin, the only thing you need is energy and an internet connection. And nowadays, you can have an internet connection almost everywhere in the world. You don't need to mine Bitcoin in a city. You can go mine Bitcoin in the middle of Siberia or in the middle of China or in or the middle in of Sweden. the desert. In Sweden, or in where you have a lot of water, exactly. um, energy. And exactly. As, I think so, they also do it. So you can just move the data centers to the places where you have more energy from where you don't need so much energy um, because yeah. it's co more cold. Or you, can, uh, you have water or other natural um, exactly. energy sources. Exactly. So the real breakthrough is that Bitcoin energy consumption can be done anywhere. And naturally, and, and Bitcoin mining is already for a very long time, it's not a hobby activity, mm. right? At the beginning, people were just mining Bitcoin with their laptops just for fun. Bitcoin mining nowadays, it's, it's a real industry. It's an industry in which businesses, big businesses are competing. And these mm. businesses have a very clear income the amount of Bitcoin that they can mine. And they have also a very clear expense, which is the amount of energy, or better said, the price they are paying for the energy. And these businesses, as all businesses on earth, they will try mm. to maximize their income while reducing their expenses. There is not much that a miner can do to mine more Bitcoin. You, they have a certain mining power and that's what they get. But there is many things. There are many things that a, a miner as an industry player can do to reduce their expenses. And that is mainly to go to the place on earth where they have the, which, the bigger amount of cheaper energy available. Which is China and Texas. 
in the in this in the developed countries yes but not but we're in china we're in texas you know not normally usually the cheapest energy that mm. you can get is that which costs you nothing and there are many places in the world where you can mm. get energy for free i recently um, read a statistic that round about one third of the energy produced in the world one third is not used by anyone it's just burned in the air it's just thrown away why because we don't have this energy where we need it to consumption. Mm. So there are really many places in the world, especially like classical example, next to hydraulic presses, hydraulic um, power plants. Hydraulic mm. power plants, they are very unstable. There are periods of the year when they produce nothing and there are periods of the year when they produce too much. And what do they do with this extra energy? They just throw it away. There is nobody that can buy it. Except I think that, that can be solved with maybe uh, Wasserstoff. What is Wasserstoff in English? Hydro, hydro, um, yeah, fuel cells, fuel, um, hydro fuel cells, or whatever. But um, in the end, this is the one. Um, the one solution would be consuming the energy where it's uh, produced and where it's at zero cost. Exactly. But the other, the other uh, issue is that you can also have a cryptocurrency that doesn't take so much energy to, to mine. You could, you could, but if you have a cryptocurrency that doesn't consume energy to mine, then your proof of work building is very small. And yeah. if your proof of work building is very small, it means that it takes very little capital for someone to build a taller one. And if somebody else builds a taller building or a longer chain, then mm. you have lost your reference of truth. And basically mm. every single holder of a token in the chain that is no longer the biggest one has lost all his volume basically proof of work proof of work it's necessary to achieve true decentralization without any other means because for example how do you assess what's the true record of the us dollar is that what the us government says and why is that what the us us government says it's because they have the biggest military The military of the U.S. is their proof of work. They have a proof of military. That's mm. how they say, I have the bigger tanks. I have the most number of soldiers. Therefore, whatever I say is the ledger of the U.S. dollar is the ledger of the U.S. dollar. So as you see, governments also use proof of work. They just do it in another way. So proof of work is not a more energy intensive way to do transactions. It is a, a less energy intense and less violence intense way of achieving consensus of determining truth and that's why proof of work is is necessary like i was about to that, that's to the point of yeah lower you, you calculate the energy of bitcoin mining against the energy of of military spending Or For example, that's that was my second point. So when I was talking about uh, the energy consumption, I said the first thing is what kind of energy do you use? So the point I was trying to make with the, the capacity, capability of Bitcoin to go where the energy is cleaner and cheaper is that Bitcoin mining consumes a lot of energy, yes. But mm. most of this energy is energy that is either renewable because that's cheap mm. or energy that is not renewable but would be wasted otherwise. Mm. The second point that I said, You cannot just make the direct relation, something that consumes energy is bad for the environment. First is what kind of energy are you consuming? And the second is what for? What are you using it for? For example, uh, producing a solar panel or producing an electric car also consumes a lot of energy. Mm. But nobody would say that this is bad for the environment. Why? Because a solar panel substitute 
a gas heating because an electric car substitutes a gasoline car. So for the environment, it's a net positive. And you can use the same reasoning for Bitcoin. Okay, it's consuming a lot of energy, but what for? Mm. What does Bitcoin substitute or what does Bitcoin make less necessary? Mm. And that is the banking system. The banking system is consuming around about 20 times more energy than the whole Bitcoin network. So Bitcoin, mm. by becoming bigger and more accepted, reduces the need for banks. I don't, I'm not saying Bitcoin is going to substitute banks, but perhaps we don't need hundreds of banks in every country with dozens of affiliates, each of them in every city. Maybe mm. our need for banks can be reduced a little by using a decentralized monetary network stored in the internet. In the same way, we can use electric cars to reduce our dependence of fossil fuels. And that's mm. just concerning the banking system. If we go to the currency level, you can ask yourself the question, what is adding value to the dollar? And it's the, it's the US military power, military economic power. What is adding value to the rubble? That is, for example, that's Russia capacity to supply the world with oil. Mm. And you can make this case for all currencies, right? Every, every currency has its proof of work behind. What's the proof of work of the euro? The proof of work of the euro is the number of countries that are ready to adopt it. And then you can add, yeah, of course, the military power of Spain and the military power of Germany is not that big compared to the US. But if you put all of that together, and if somebody messes with the euro, <laughs> it's still not that big, but it's comparable at least. Okay. And if somebody messes with the euro, then the whole European Union as a whole would have to react. And they have their own proof of work. And they would say, hey, we have all these many inhabitants using this currency and all this much military power. Okay. So but, but, to the point of that, if you compare what Bitcoin can make obsolete or mm. at least reduce the, the need for, mm. then it's definitely a net positive for the environment that Bitcoin is used and adapted, adopted. But there, there, David, you also have to talk about um, why do people have to adopt is a Bitcoin or not one of the other yep. hundreds of currencies? What's special about it? It's, it's just because it was a first or is it... Um, Is it because it's really decentralized or what's what's better about Bitcoin yeah. than about well, Bitcoin so, or yeah, the other ones? Bitcoin is very unique in its inception in that mm. um, someone who we don't know who that person is uh, invented it. And Bitcoin had a creator and a main developer for the first year and a half, mm. pretty much. And then Satoshi disappeared, disappeared without leaving any clue behind who he is or where anyone can find him. And from this moment, from this very moment, which was end of 2010, Bitcoin has been developed as a purely 100% open source project. Mm. And that means that for any change to appear in the Bitcoin, to happen in the Bitcoin network, it requires this consensus. You need all the players in the field to agree that the mm. change is good for the, for the Bitcoin network and for our users as a sum. And that's the reason why Bitcoin is so looks like it is so slow to implement change changes compared to other cryptocurrencies. Mm. Why? Because nobody can decide to implement something. Nobody mm. can do that. Everybody can propose. Everybody has to decide. And that's what that's what true decentralization looks like. Also, if you look at the other aspects of the technology, like the peer-to-peer -peer network. If you look at the number of nodes, the more nodes you have, the more decentralized 
your currency is. And why do you want your currency to be decentralized? Because it makes it immutable, mm. right? Immutability is something we didn't talk about, but immutability, it's another property of money that I would classify under the store of value dimension. Mm. The more immutable a currency is, the more you can rely on the rules of this currency not to change and all supply, the more, the better it is a store of value. And mm. in the, the number of nodes, it's a very important aspect of that. And also the proof of work. So if, you, more, if somebody uh, owns more than 50% of the nodes, um, then he has more control and can, can also decide more about the currency. Is that right? They could potentially, yeah. They would have more voting rights, so to say. Mm. It's not that with 51%, you can change everything, mm. but... The, the amount of node, and that's also very important with, with Bitcoin. So it is very expensive to mine Bitcoin. It is very mm -hmm. expensive to make a proposal what the next transaction is going to be. Mm -hmm. But it is very, very cheap to have a Bitcoin node. I have two Bitcoin nodes in my living room. It has cost me less than 100 years to set up. And I have mm -hmm. two of them just for fun. Yeah. So it is very difficult to propose a change, but it is very cheap and easy to verify and accept. That means that you create a network of very big number of players whom all of them have to cast their vote without discussing with each other. Imagine 100,000 persons listening to a proposal and pressing a yes or no button without discussing with each other and also knowing what the others are gonna do. It's the, most, it's the purest form of democracy I, I, I know. And, and the bigger mm. the number of nodes, the more decentralized the network is, and the more you can be sure that the players of this network are going to guard their own interest, which is everyone's interest. And the same thing happens with the proof of work. The more proof of work has been stored in, in the current version of the truth of this network, mm. then the harder it is to replace it. Because you can only replace it by spending even more energy, by building a taller building. And, and that's something where really no other currency can be compared to Bitcoin. Like if you look at the, for example, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin mm. Cash has a hash rate of around 1% or 2% mm. of what Bitcoin has. That means it is like 50 to 100 times easier to corrupt Bitcoin Cash than it is to corrupt Bitcoin. And Bitcoin Cash has a lot of hash rate compared mm. to all many of the other currencies. The number of nodes, similar thing. Mm. So the other currencies, the other cryptocurrencies, They also have something that Bitcoin doesn't have, and that's bad. Every single cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin has a creator, a known mm. creator, or a group of developers. They mm. have, there is a group of people who can decide what happens. It, they are not immutable. They are only immutable as long as this group of persons decides not to change it. So if I was considering, hypothetically, to store my wealth in a form of money, which is not the Euro, which is not backed by the European Central Bank, but something else. I would not store my wealth in something that a group of people sitting in a conference room can decide to change anytime they want. Mm. Doesn't make sense. As much as I think central banking has problems, I would rather trust the European Central Bank than I would trust a group of 20 developers in a startup, which is what is behind most of, of, of currencies of cryptocurrencies so when you buy another cryptocurrency which is not bitcoin in the best of cases what you are buying is something similar to a stock of a startup mm. in the best of cases which is a minority in the majority of cases you are buying just a scam 
<laughs> but there are there are there are a tiny amount of altcoins which are legit. They are not scams, but yep. they are not the form of money. They are not money. They are basically instead of having stocks, they have tokens. But can't they just disappear like the uh, the the, the uh, founder of BTC has done? So if if for example the founder of Ada would just disappear and all the other centralized developers too. Couldn't be also a competitor for BTC. What do you mean disappear? Like die? Because, <laughs> because everybody, yes. but everybody knows who he is. Yeah, but the, everybody knows who he is. So it would become definitely more decentralized. I don't wish anyone to die. Please uh, don't get me wrong. But they can also they, just if, hide. Themselves. Yeah, they could. They could. If they yeah. quit the project, then the project becomes more decentralized. But it's still mm. not fully decentralized. As Bitcoin is, so Bitcoin, like Bitcoin, is designed to be extremely limited on its flexibility, and that's what makes it so secure. You know, there is this trilemma of blockchains. Have you ever heard, a, um, like, a, someone say, "Hey, I can do, I can do a job um, quick, good, or cheap," and you have to choose two of these three? I cannot have the three of them. So there mm -hmm. is a similar trilemma with blockchains. A blockchain can be secure decentralized or scalable and you can only choose two for example something that is secure and scalable but is not decentralized is visa mm. something that is decentralized and scalable but is not secure are DeFi solutions or many of these altcoins mm. but to store my wealth long term what i want is security And decentralization, and that only is provided by Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. there's one point I didn't mention about what you said before. If Visa is, for example, a, a good alternative, a more um, like energy efficient alternative, mm -hmm. it is. But you cannot relate a Bitcoin transaction with a Visa transaction because when you make a Visa transaction, when you pay with your card, mm -hmm. the person at the other side of the transaction, let's say you go buy a coffee and you pay with your card, the cafeteria has not yet received your money. A visa transaction is not a final settlement. You could, I could make the point that the final settlement occurs when the euros that left your account the moment you paid the coffee arrive to the bank account of the cafeteria owner. And that's mm -hmm. not happening immediately. So what Visa does is uh, they collect a lot of payment information, a lot of payments, and then once a day, they settle all of them at once. Mm -hmm. So... It is a different thing. Like um, it's it's easier than with coins. You can with coins. You can just put in the hands of of the. Of uh, course, yeah, sister. directly, yeah. yeah. So a Bitcoin transaction is more like a like a long term final settlement, you know, mm. and that depends what you compare it with. If I want to send you money because we both live in Germany, that will be free and it will take one day. But if mm. I want to send money to some family I have in Russia. That's going to cost me around about 50 euros and it's going to take a week. If I want to send money to someone in Myanmar, my bank is going to tell me, sorry, we cannot even do it. The cost is infinite because it cannot be done. However, with Bitcoin, mm. I can always do it. And yeah, it's going to take 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and it's going to cost one or two euros, yeah. but I can do it. But we have Zepa instant payments uh, that, that are also real kind of real-time payments to your sure. bank account. Yeah. Yeah. So it, they also have some evolution in the banking system. Yep. 
So one question, uh, would you um, say that we need one or one currencies to store our value or our net worth and protect it against inflation? And we need one additional currency for, for payments because um, Bitcoin is not as fast maybe as mm -hmm. a, a different blockchain or a payment system? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I share the, the view um, of some... Some other people that I read online that I don't think um, the euro or the dollar is going to disappear anytime soon. Mm. Um, I think we are, at least we, our generation, we are going to die uh, using still the euro and the dollar. Mm. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, if you know, like the euro and the dollar, they are types of money that is not working anymore as they should. If you remember my metaphor at the beginning uh, of the interview, when I mentioned this this house of, of, of a money form, the foundations is store of value, the walls and the pillars are the medium of exchange functionality, and the ceiling, the roof, is the unit of account. So the euro and the dollar, they perform the function of medium of exchange very, very well. Almost everybody in the world uh, is gonna say, accept the dollars, um, many people is going to accept euros. The problem that these currencies have with the monetary debasement, debasing that we are that we are experiencing is that they are starting to not perform the store of value function properly, and that means the foundation of this whole construct mm -hmm. is starting to crumble, and that means sooner or late it's going to collapse. But I am of the opinion that it's going to be rather late. Than soon, that we are still going to have euro and dollar to settle payments in a life day-to-day uh, -day situations. Uh, Bitcoin, on the other hand, it's the most stable store of value the world has ever known, because the supply of Bitcoin is completely independent from the demand. It can not only not be produced at will, same as, for example, gold. You can also not produce plenty of gold out of nothing. But the supply of gold is not independent from the demand. If gold becomes really expensive, the miners are going to mine more gold. More people are going to get into the gold mining business and they will produce more gold and the supply will bring the price down. With Bitcoin, it's not like that. It's the higher the Bitcoin price, the more people try to mine Bitcoin. But the fact that more people are mining Bitcoin doesn't change the supply. The supply mm -hmm. is fixed. What happens when more people mine Bitcoin is that the proof-of-work network increases. And with more proof-of-work network, the whole Bitcoin network is more secure. And because Bitcoin is more secure, it justifies a higher price. And a higher price will bring again more miners. And more miners will make it more secure. And more security will make it more expensive, more valuable. Sorry, not expensive, but more valuable. And this is a virtuous uh, cycle that goes on and on and on. That makes Bitcoin the best store of value the world has ever known. That means that Bitcoin has the strongest foundation to be money than nothing else. I completely agree. Bitcoin doesn't work as a unit of account. It doesn't, but it, that's okay. And, and it's still very early. And I would even argue Bitcoin is also not a great medium of exchange, but this is no reason to dismiss Bitcoin as form of money. It's the same as saying, uh, because my unfinished house doesn't have a roof, it's a shitty house. No, it, it has this house has the best foundations it could have. And let's wait a couple of generations. And when the house is finished and it has its walls and it has its roof, then let's see how good of value it is. So I personally think 
that we will continue using euro and dollar for day-to-day transaction. I would mm-hmm. never in the world spend my Bitcoin to pay for a coffee. I think that's pretty stupid because euro does that perfectly fine. But when we are talking about financial independence and the goal to reach an amount of personal wealth that can cover your expenses for a generation such that mm-hmm. you don't have to work anymore, then I don't want to store this wealth in a form of money whose store of value function is not working anymore. I would rather take one whose store of value function is the most excellent it can be. Hmm. We, we also also talked a lot about how, how to pay and how to store value. So compared to a savings account, maybe. Um, but is in a Bitcoin also a good investment? Or, or it can be traded, of course. I've, I've seen that. But of course you can trade good. it, yeah. Is it also a good investment or is it just a store of value? Well, um, my point, one of the points I wanted to make with today's episode, um, with the, I think it's going to end up being two episodes, but with <laughs> these episodes, I wanted, I want people to understand that Bitcoin is not like, many people think Bitcoin is like some sort of stock that has done well in the last year, something mm-hmm. that you can buy and then sell later on for for more money and then uh, it has made for a for a good investment mm-hmm. if anything our listeners will will take uh, with them from today's discussion i hope that they understood one thing and that is that bitcoin is not only an investment it can be an investment yes but bitcoin is not an investment bitcoin is a form of money and of course you can make money by you can you can earn wealth in certain units by switching between different forms of money. Yes, you can do that. But more than anything, Bitcoin is not an investment. Bitcoin is a form of money in and of itself. And what Bitcoin is there for is to offer all of us an alternative. Because um, as until Bitcoin's uh, creation, your currency was something that was imposed on you pretty much like your nationality. If you are born in Germany, you are German and you use the Deutsche Mark. If you are born in Spain, you're Spanish, and you use the peseta. And both things are pretty much the same, unavoidable. What Bitcoin offers us today, it's an option. Today, you are born in Germany, and you are German, and you can use the euro, or you can use Bitcoin. And it's your choice. And and that's a choice that previous generations didn't have. And it's a choice that we today have the privilege of making. And while I will never advocate, and I hope that that's not what you understood of my of the episode today, I don't think it's responsible to have all your wealth in Bitcoin, but I think it's the same irresponsible to have all your wealth in a fiat currency that can be debased at the will of someone else anytime. So basically, um, that would also lead us to the um, question of how, how would be a good um, asset allocation? How does it fit in the asset allocation? Maybe just a really quick answer. Yeah. Um, how many? How how much would you put in of your total asset allocation? Would you put in Bitcoin? It's a it's a question that is very difficult to uh, answer in general terms because I think this is gonna be. Um, very individual for every person. I think it depends on how confident you feel with the with the concept of Bitcoin itself. If you have listened to the, these episodes, uh, you definitely have a better understanding of Bitcoin than ninety five percent of population, at least. 
I think for the for the fire community, it's not going to be so difficult to understand this because we are a community with very uh, long term thinking, and in the same way, we put um, certain amount of our savings rate every month into an ETF portfolio that we are not counting on selling for the next 10 to 15 years. With this mentality, you can invest a significant portion in Bitcoin. Uh, You can exchange a significant portion into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is, of course, if you measure it in euros, it's going to be volatile in the short term. It's still going to happen. I would never put in Bitcoin a certain amount of money that I think I'm going to need within the next two to three years. But anything that belongs to your long-term investment capital, this this bucket of long-term investment capital, it can pretty much be divided between ETFs and Bitcoin in any proportion a person wishes. For me, that's 50-50. For another person, it may be 19-10. For another person, it might be 80-20. It really doesn't matter. As long as you have a distribution that you feel comfortable with and you are thinking long-term, Wonderful. So um, then I think many people also kind of hopefully uh, rethink how they approach uh, Bitcoin. I think it also takes a, a bit of time to be confident to put maybe more than five to 10 percent into uh, Bitcoin or even other uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, Definitely. But- I didn't mention that, but whatever you put in it, start small. See if you feel comfortable because you can always increase. Start small and learn about it. And um, we have, to, as we have to come to to an end uh, for today's episode, I would like to uh, mention also that we put some more information and uh, how to start and some backgrounds also in our show notes, uh, so that you can download it and and just go ahead and start uh, with your crypto journey. And um, we also put some links and some books that you uh, that David. Yeah. Exactly. So if you have you have listened to this and you are wondering how I get started, how actually I do it, I have prepared a, a five or six uh, how-to guide with um, basically the, the first steps and the places and services I use myself and I feel comfortable recommending. So you can go ahead and load it and start your way and play around with it, learn more about it and make the choice of what form of money it's going to bring you faster to your financial independence. Thank you very much, David. Nice words to, at the end and um, see you next time. See you next time, hopefully. it was a, I had a blast. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you to everyone in the audience who has listened so far. And I look forward to hearing you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the episode. We really appreciate you taking the time and we would love to hear your feedback in the comments on our website financial-independence.eu or you can head over to our Facebook group and engage with us like-minded people that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you like. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle FIEurope. And for people on our email list, we post occasionally about special updates, ideas, events, and curate the best contents from the European FI community. You can find that at financial-independence.eu newsletter. Thank you for being part of the community and see you in the next episode.